precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Thank you, Jesus Christ. Thank you. Thank you for the mercy, Lord God. Your mercies which are new every morning. Your mercy and love that you pour out upon us, Lord. We stand before you as a people, Lord, where we're not worthy, but you make us worthy through faith in Jesus Christ and, and through the righteousness which we get are clothed from our Lord. So, Lord, have your way with us, we pray this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I pray everyone had a blessed Thanksgiving, <clears throat> that you've digested all this food by now. Uh, turn with me, if you would, please, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Looking at three verses, three very short verses, but the Word of God is living and powerful, and, and just one word can have so much for us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Three simple verses. But these are commands, not suggestions. This is not God saying, I think it would be a good idea if you did these things, if you want to. These are words which God expects us to obey if we love him. And yes, obedience is proof of our love. You know, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And as we just read, this is God's will for us to do these three things. One commentator had this to say, these three good habits have been called the standing orders of the church. They represent the will of God in Christ Jesus for us. And the words in Christ Jesus remind us that Jesus taught us these things during his earthly ministry, and he was a living embodiment of what he taught. By teaching an example, he revealed to us God's will concerning joy, prayer, and thanksgiving. And praise God, he lets us know what he expects from us. We don't have to guess. So we're going to go through these three verses, spending most time in the first verse, verse 16, where God tells us rejoice always. We should be rejoicing always. How can we not our sins have been forgiven and removed. How far? As far as the east is from the west. Our eternity has been secured for us. It's a done deal. We can know now that we'll be in heaven for all eternity when we die. That gives me great peace and comfort. It makes the troubles of this world a little easier to take. You know, I spent a great deal of my childhood wondering, where am I going to go when I die? I knew there was an eternity 
I just didn't know which place I was going to spend it in. Because I was taught there's heaven and there's hell and there's a place in between. And to be honest, that's the place I was shooting for. <laughs> I, I guess I had low expectations, but I figured I'm not good enough to go to heaven. I'm not bad enough to go to hell. So you can imagine the great comfort I received when I came across 1 John 5.13. Paul writing to believers. I'm sorry, John writing to believers. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. You know, and as I share with people at the senior homes, I mean, these are people that are older, and of course we can go at any time, but generally speaking, the older you get, the closer you are to, to dying. And I share with them, God wants us to, to have the peace that comes from knowing where we're going to go when we die, the, the comfort, and that there's no need to worry or be anxious. The Bible tells us be anxious for nothing. And to know that to those who have confessed Christ as their Savior, that we're going to be with him immediately after drawing our last breath. Very comforting. To know that no matter what I'm going through here, what problems I'm facing, Jesus has secured an eternal dwelling place for us. John chapter 14, first three verses. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, while Jesus lived on this earth, he was a carpenter. And I imagine he was a very good one. And if that's not enough, he also created the universe by speaking it into existence. So what kind of dwelling, what kind of mansion, that word means residence, do you think he's preparing for us? You know, it could be a one-room shack, and it will be glorious because it's in heaven. But I have an idea. It's going to be amazing beyond anything we can imagine. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Rejoice always. And I, I titled the my uh, teaching today, Always Rejoicing. See what I did there? I, I, I reversed it. <laughs> Took me a long time to come up with that. <laughs> but always, always, which means continually, constantly. The word rejoice, according to Strong's Concordance, to be full of cheer, calmly happy, well off. My definition, to have a heart full of thanksgiving. Desiring to praise God and exalt him. To be full of the joy of the Lord. And again, how can we not be people that rejoice? We have so much to rejoice about. So let's examine exactly what do we have to, be, to rejoice about. And this is not an exhaustive list. If it is, we will be here for weeks, months, years. <clears throat> Here's a verse that tells us how rich we are. Ephesians 3.8. Paul said, To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. 
unsearchable. That word means beyond finding out, beyond knowing. You know, recently we had that, that Powerball lottery, and it got up to over $2 billion. That's beyond comprehension. And I, I got to admit, sometimes I would think about that and say, man, it would be nice to have a lot of money. Now, of course, I do a lot of good with it. You would all share. But whenever I'm tempted to buy a lottery ticket, and this is not, if you buy lottery tickets, you know what? I'm not judging or anything, but the Lord just spoken to my heart. Whenever I'm tempted, he reminds me, Angelo, you are already rich. Right? Amen. When a person receives Jesus as a savior, they immediately become a spiritual billionaire, trillionaire, zillionaire. There's no word. There's no number you can assign to it because our riches are beyond our human comprehension. They're priceless. So what do we have to rejoice about? Well, let's consider our state, our fate as human beings. We deserve eternity in hell. It's not God being unloving. It's him being fair, being just. Because if God was loving but not fair, he could love some more than others. He could have favorites. Now, my sister Jackie jokingly says sometimes, I'm God's favorite. <laughs> and the reason I know it's a joke is because I'm God's favorite. <laughs> Actually, we all are. Because God is no respecter of persons. So the Bible says the wages of sin is death, and we're all sinners. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we can really say, until Jesus enters your life, we're living on death row. Right? Those people that are in prison, that we say they're on death row, they're waiting to be killed, to be executed. Only the spiritual version of death row is death is not the punishment. It's what follows after death. And it's an everlasting punishment. But Jesus came to, to pardon us, I guess you could say, to spare us of the punishment, judgment we rightfully deserve. You know, sometimes a criminal will be on death row and a governor or, or president will pardon them. And uh, I found out that since 1973, 190 people have been exonerated and released from death row. So what's that mean? These people committed a crime they were found guilty, and they were sentenced to death. But they were released from prison to continue going on living. They didn't have to go through with that death sentence. Jesus did the same for us, with one big exception. We not only didn't have to die for our crimes, sins, Jesus fulfilled our death sentence in his place. He died, taking the death we were supposed to receive. You know, no governor or president ever did that. Why did Jesus do that? Well, our crimes are sins. And in order for our sins to be forgiven, there has to be the shedding of blood. The Bible says there's no remission of sins without the shedding of blood. We couldn't have been pardoned unless someone took our place and went through with, with our execution. And that's what Jesus did for us on the cross. You know, when we speak of rejoicing, as I was going through this, it all begins and ends with Jesus. 
And sadly, there are people walking around free, but they're on death row, and they don't even realize it. We need Jesus. There's no pardon. There's no escape from that death sentence we have apart from him. So if you have a personal relationship with Jesus, you can be rejoicing always, even in the midst of trouble, tribulations. And why? Because Jesus loves us, and he will help us no matter what we're going through. He'll be there with us in the midst of it, and he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Uh, Psalm 91, verse 14, this is not on the screen, but the psalmist wrote, Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high, because he has known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. That's God speaking. Psalm 33, verses 20 and 21. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. In Psalm 28, verse 7, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him and I am helped. Therefore, my heart greatly rejoices. And with my song, I will praise him. One translation said, my heart leaps for joy. So let's look at some examples from Scripture of people rejoicing in the midst of trouble. Habakkuk, chapter 3, starting in verse 17. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high hills. Now, what's going through here at this time is the Babylonians had invaded Jerusalem. And the city walls were in ruins, and there was famine. There was no uh, olive. The fields yielded no food. Yet Habakkuk is rejoicing. In fact, in Hebrew, the translation is, I will jump for joy in the Lord. I will spin around for delight in God. Here we have great joy in the midst of horrible circumstances. See, that's the thing about joy in the Lord. It doesn't depend upon circumstances. Now, I think the greatest example of joy in the midst of tragedy is, of course, Job. In one day, he lost all his wealth, all his servants, and all his children. I can't imagine having to endure anything close to that. And after hearing the last part of the bad news, after hearing about his children all dying, he had this to say. This is Job chapter 1, starting in verse 20. Then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, which is a sign of grief, of mourning. These things affected him greatly. He fell to the ground, and he worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked shall I return there. The Lord gave... And the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. 
He lost everything, everything he had in a day, and yet he still worshiped. How could he do this? It's because he held on to a basic fact. He held on to a truth about God, which is God is good. He's always good. <clears throat> so Job, Job, I'm sorry, Job followed adversity with adoration. He followed woe with worship. God is good, and circumstances don't change that. He, he can't help being good. It's who he is. It's part of his character. And notice the last verse. He did not charge, he did not sin or charge God with wrong. And like so many people, he didn't blame God for his troubles. You ever notice people blame God for the bad things that happened to them? Never mention God when anything good happens. When problems arise, what do you hear? Why did God do this? Why did God allow this to happen to me? But don't mention them when anything good happens. See, they don't realize anything good that happens is from God. And James chapter 1, verse 17 tells us that. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Every good and perfect gift. See, what God determines is a good gift. We may not have the same standard. For example, winning the lottery can be seen as a good thing. Many times, it's not. There's many examples of life being ruined by people people winning the lottery. In fact, I've never seen it, but there's a TV show about called, I think, The Lottery Ruined My Life. God is called here Father of Lights. And I've always wondered, why in this particular verse is he called the Father of Lights? It's the only time in the Bible this title is used. So I checked with Strong's Concordance, what does the word light mean? It means illumination. It means light. But we know in the Bible, light represents good. Darkness stands for evil. In John chapter 8, verse 12, so then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And if Jesus is God, and he is, then he's good. And he's the light of the world. So if Jesus is our Savior, we don't have to walk in darkness. We don't have to live in sin, giving into temptation, living according to our flesh. When we come to know Jesus, we have light that comes into our lives, the light of life. And what a life. A life that will continue for all eternity in the presence of our Savior. A life of eternal rejoicing. But that rejoicing begins now, here on earth. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Once, that means before Jesus, we lived according to the flesh, right? Living, living doing everything to please ourselves. And I think back to those days before I came to know the Lord. Was I happy? Were you happy? Sometimes. But happiness is fleeting. Happiness doesn't last. 
And we can be happy about things not good for us. I think back to the days before I knew the Lord when I was doing drugs. When I got high, I was happy. But as soon as that high wore off, not happy. So with Jesus, we not only have light, we are light in him. And we need to walk, live as children of our heavenly father, the father of lights. And maybe what that verse is talking about is father of lights. Maybe those lights are us. We're the lights. You know, the world is dark. And it's a world of warfare, but an unseen warfare. Much more deadly warfare than what's going on in Ukraine right now or anywhere else in the world. Because it's a, it's a war of spiritual forces. And our enemy is the father of darkness. And he has an army. Now in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul speaks about the spiritual warfare. I know you're familiar with that. <clears throat> but in Romans, Paul mentions Another part of our armor. In Romans chapter 13, verse 12. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. So the night is far spent. That means the days are coming to a close. Days of darkness coming to an end. Getting closer and closer to Jesus coming back. But first, we must do something. We must cast off the works of darkness. Uh, Charles Spurgeon had this to say about that. The rags of sin must come off if we put on the robe of Christ. There must be taken away of the love of sin. There must be a renouncing of the practices and habits of sin. Or else a man cannot be a Christian. It will be an idle attempt to try and wear religion is a sort of celestial overall over the top of old sins. Romans chapter 13, verses 13 and 14. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. So after we cast off the works of darkness, we're to put on armor of light. We're to put on, as we just read, our Lord Jesus. And it spoke to my heart, putting on, taking off of clothing. Casting off what we used to wear, which is filthy rags. That's the righteousness we have before we come to know Christ, apart from him. When Jesus comes into our life and takes up residence in our heart, What then do we put on? How are we clothed then? Isaiah chapter 61 tells us, verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. So here's a reason to rejoice how God clothes us spiritually. So we go from filthy rags to a robe of righteousness. And it's an awesome robe made of the finest quality. It's covered in ornaments and jewels. And you know why it's so beautiful? Because the righteousness that we're clothed in is the righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. 
I love this verse, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him, in Jesus. Praise the Lord. We've just covered a few examples, a few reasons how we can be people that are always rejoicing. As I said, I could go on and on. We're going to move on and look at verses 17 and 18 in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And they go together because prayer and giving thanks should go together. Pray without ceasing. We were just told rejoice always. Do you get the idea? God wants us to do some things constantly, consistently. And no wonder, because prayer is having a conversation with our Heavenly Father. Prayer involves fellowship with God. You know, as a parent, I loved Whenever my kids, especially when they got older, would come to me and say, Dad, can we talk? Oh, I would love that. Or, something's bothering me, I need your help. See, you know, I l- would love to have them bear their burdens and, and at least give me an opportunity to help them if I could. Does God want us to come before his throne and pour out our souls? Bear our burdens, yes, and without ceasing. See, he's not a God who's unapproachable. He's a God who loves us, wants the best for us, and knows us intimately. So prayer also involves thanksgiving and praise, two things we should be doing constantly. And I love it that prayer is something we can do anytime, anywhere. Come before his presence, spend time with him, you know, I think back to how it was for the high priest. The high priest got to come before the throne of God into his presence once a year on the Day of Atonement. That's the only time he was allowed to enter into the Holy of Holies. And just the high priest, no one else. And he better have been sure, he better have been sure that he confessed all his sins, made all the proper sacrifices, or else once he got in there, he would be struck down dead. That's why the high priest had bells on the hem of his robe so they could hear him moving around, know he was alive. And when the bell stopped, well, he had to be pulled out. He had a rope. No one else could go in there and get the body. He had a rope to pull him out. We, on the other hand, enter any time. Can always do this. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, when Paul wrote, pray without ceasing, it doesn't mean praying without interruption, but praying whenever possible, having what I call a, a prayerful attitude. You know, my prayerful attitude used to be, be ready to ask God for something anytime, anywhere, But we need to always be ready to pray a prayer of thanksgiving, a prayer of praise. You know, I was always quick to pray, not so quick as always to give thanks. I was grateful for the gift, then always 
thing to thank the giver of the gift. And as we've seen, the giver is God. He's a giver of every good gift and every perfect gift. You know, and this makes me think of the time Jesus healed the ten lepers. And I know this example is given many times as an example of people being ungrateful. But I don't think that's exactly the case. Turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 17. We're going to start in verse 11. Now it happened as he, Jesus, went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices, notice all ten, and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed, they were healed. And one of them when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And so Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Now I believe all ten were grateful. How could they have not have been? Leprosy was a terrible disease it disfigured you. you. You suffered from rotting flesh. It was contagious. And so not only were lepers hideous looking, but people did not want to catch what they had. And so they were forced to live off by themselves in their own communities. So I think the nine lepers that didn't return were happy to be healed. In fact, I bet you they couldn't wait to get home and show their family, show their friends what had happened to them. They were grateful for the gift but they forgot to thank the giver of the gift. And notice that, you know, they called Jesus Master. They cried out, Master. But once they were healed, they forgot about him. And, you know, there would have been no healing if it wasn't for Jesus. And sadly, the nine that didn't come back were Jews, God's chosen people that should have known better. You know, as Christians, we're also God's chosen people, a special people. And we need to be in the forefront and lead by example, always giving God the glory for any gifts we reserve, we receive. So the Samaritan leper, the only one to return. Not a Jew. And Samaritans were despised by the Jews. Yet this man remembered to return and give thanks and to glorify God. And as a result, he received a greater healing than just being healed of leprosy. Verse 19, And Jesus said to him, Arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Wait a minute. He had already been made well. All ten lepers were healed, but the only one who returned to give thanks was the only one that was made whole. That, he, that is, he was saved spiritually as well as physically. 
Those words, made you well, mean saved you. Jesus notices those who come back to say thank you. In fact, the things we say concerning what the Lord has done for us, how he's blessed us, his faithfulness to us, are written in a book of remembrance. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. And so a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. Very interesting. Here in chapter 3, God is dealing with Jews who have not been giving reverence to God. They've not been tithing. They've not been giving God the glory due his name. But there was a remnant who remained faithful. And it speaks here in Malachi chapter 3, verse 16, a book of remembrance. God keeps a book which records not only our actions but also our thoughts. It makes me think of uh, the baby books that parents keep and you record your child's first words, first steps, all that kind of stuff, their growth. And so, too, the Lord keeps a book recording the words, the walk, and growth of his children. And speaking of this book, I think it was John Corson that had this to say, how big is your book? I suggest the Lord needs many volumes to contain the thanksgiving of some of his kids. For others, a single pamphlet will do. Hmm. Makes me think about how often am I giving thanks to God. <clears throat> so in Thess- Thessalonians, in everything give thanks. And we talked about this. In the midst of anything, no matter what's going on, we can be thankful, we can have a heart of gratitude. And it says, this is God's will. This is God's will. And sometimes, you know what, we wonder, what's God's will for my life? Now, there are many different specific plans that God has for everybody. But there are also general ones outlined for us in his word. And in 1 Thessalonians, this is one of them. And notice it says, this is his will in Christ Jesus. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's the key. That's the most important part. In Christ Jesus. He's everything to us. In Acts chapter 17, verse 28, for in him, in Christ, we live and move and have our being. As also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. We owe Jesus everything. It's because of him we're alive. He created us. But he's also done much more than that. He's given us of his spirit. He's redeemed us. He's secured heaven for us. He's our everything. You know, Pastor Ron and I were talking this morning before service. You know, without Jesus, you have nothing. But with Jesus, you have everything. You lack nothing. You have everything pertaining to life and godliness. And I know there's a song, I know we've sung this song here before, but it says, you are my all in all. Revelation chapter 21, verse 6. 
We're going to close with this verse. This is John, and he says, And he, Jesus, said to me, It is done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. Give eternal life freely. It's a free gift to him who thirsts. He'll give it. All you have to do is ask. If there's anyone here today or anyone listening online that's never asked, I want to give you an opportunity to partake of that fountain of water of life. It's a life that you'll be blessed while you're on this earth, but the greatest blessings are reserved for us when we get to heaven. Blessings which we're going to enjoy for all eternity. You know, sometimes we don't grasp that word eternity. It just means forever. On and on and on. And knowing God, he's going to continually want to bless us in greater amounts. The blessings are going to increase. Our minds can't comprehend that. But Jesus says, I'll give it freely. Freely. To he who believes. To he who repents of their sins and asks Jesus to be your Savior, to be your Lord. So if you want to receive Jesus Christ today as your Lord and Savior, and he's made it a simple prayer, pray along with me. Father God, I thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that he rose again after three days. I put my faith and trust in you, Jesus. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. And I thank you for the hope that I can have that comes from knowing whenever my last day on this earth comes, I will be with you in heaven for all eternity. Lord, I give you my life. I look forward to a life where you're going to be leading me and guiding me by your precious Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.